Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for our message this morning comes from our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah 55 that was read for you a few moments ago. The title of my message is Hide and Seek Champ. I'm assuming that most of you can recall at least one experience of the age-old game of hide and seek. I have particularly fond memories of hiding. There was something thrilling about discovering that perfect hiding spot, some dark corner, some inconspicuous nook or cranny that no one else could find. I can remember finding a spot like that and hiding so long that the other kids would start crying out, okay, Joe, you can come out now and give up. Of course, I had to wait long enough to emerge from my secret space so as not to give away that location for future games. After all, I wanted to remain the hide-and-seek champ. So why start with a little anecdote about hide-and-seek? Well, as I read through our appointed Old Testament lesson today from Isaiah, I was struck by verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And it got me thinking, what does our spiritual game of hide-and-seek look like? And if the competitors are God, humanity, and the devil, then who is the hide-and-seek champ? As we take some time to explore these questions, my goal this morning is that after hearing my message, you would embrace Isaiah's invitation to seek God while he may be found, that you would more fully turn to Christ in repentance. All right, so let's start with the seeker side, and let's start with God. God is a good seeker. It's one of the first things that he does with Adam and Eve. <coughs> Immediately after they eat the forbidden fruit, they hide from God and try to cover themselves. And without any provocation, God is already seeking. Genesis 3.9, God says, where are you? Which, as inside, is a beautiful gospel moment. After Adam, and sin, after Adam and Eve sin, God doesn't leave them to their own devices. He doesn't just start over with a new creation. Instead, he seeks to restore the broken relationship with his children. He seeks after them. It's kind of a funny phrase from God, where are you? As if God doesn't know. Of course God already knows where Adam and Eve are. It makes me think of the toddler who places her hands over her eyes and thinks she's in herself, while her loving parents say, Where are you? Where's Sally? This where are you question from God is not an indictment on his seeking abilities, but rather reveals God's seeking heart. God is a great seeker because he knows all the spots. There's nowhere you can hide from God, no secret place that he will not find you. Psalm 139 demonstrates this very clearly. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. I like to refer to this one as the Santa song. 
You know, he knows when you've been sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake, right? Jeremiah 23, 23-24 makes this even more pointed. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? The clearly intended answers to these rhetorical questions are, yes, God is at hand, and no, he is not far away, and no, a man cannot hide from God. Jonah tried to hide from God and was miserably unsuccessful. He didn't want to preach to Nineveh, so he jumped on his ship and tried to sail away from God. But as you and I and the large fish very well know, God found him. God is a relentless seeker. Although we hide, although we run away, although at times we are ambivalent toward God and can be lukewarm in our faith, Jesus continues to stand at the door and knock, singing, seeking to bring his sheep back into the fold. You see, God doesn't just seek us for his glory to win some hide-and-seek trophy. He seeks you and me for a purpose, for our own good. Listen again to a beautiful passage from Ezekiel 34, where God talks about being our shepherd and how he seeks his sheep and what he does for his sheep. Starting at verse 11, he says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in the good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the stray, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God seeks us in order to rescue, to gather, to feed, to give rest, to bind the injured, strengthen the weak, and to be our shepherd. What good news. God seeks you out because he loves you, because you rightly belong to him. And this seeking nature of God is manifested and most fully embodied in our good shepherd, Jesus. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what Christmas is. The beginning of Jesus' rescue mission. The beginning of Jesus' seeking. In Bethlehem, now I know he's a newborn, so it's a little hard to imagine, hard to grasp, but even as an infant, it's already as, as if Jesus is there counting down five, four, three, two, one. Ready or not, here I come. Playing that hide and seek game. He found us in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, in Galilee. He found us in the marketplace, in the wilderness, and in the synagogues. 
He found us at the foot of the cross. He found us in the empty tomb and even in a locked room. And he continues to find us today in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God is a great seeker. But the devil's not too bad himself. He prides himself on seeking. As Peter says in his letter, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He always manages to show up uninvited. He found Adam and Eve in the garden in the form of a serpent. He found Job as he attacked him on all sides and in all ways. And yes, he finds me. He always succeeds in finding me alone in my thoughts. He finds me when no one is around, when no one is looking. He finds me in darkness, in moments of weakness. And when I think I've finally shaken him, that I've, that I've justified my actions, or at least buried my sin deep in the recesses of my mind where I don't have to think about it, and I've moved on, he finds me. He accuses me, and he says, you're no good. You're a hypocrite. You're an imposter, and you're going to be found out. And you know, he's right. In this spiritual game of hide-and-seek, I'm terrible. I'm a bad seeker, and I have two major shortcomings in my seeking game. First, I simply don't seek. I am that ambivalent, lukewarm person that John refers to in his critique of the church at Laodicea. I wish that I could develop that seeking passion that many of the psalmists have, that they have for God. If you read through the psalms, I tell you what, they really put us to shame in their desire to be in church, to be in God's presence, to worship Him. Let me just run you through a few. Starting with Psalm 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 5, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 26, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 27, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Psalm 42, As a deer pants for streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would lead the throng in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And Psalm 84, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Only I can seek God like that. Do you and I believe that? That one day here, is better than a thousand elsewhere. Would you rather take the lowest place at church than have a secure dwelling somewhere else? I don't know about you, but I have certainly been guilty of not loving the habitation of God's house and the place where His glory dwells. 
And I know I'm not the only one guilty uh, when it comes to a lack of passion for seeking God where he's found. How often do you hear people say, I can be a Christian and not go to church? I mean, my thought is, I suppose, but I wouldn't bet on those odds. A better response might be, why wouldn't you seek God where he's promised to be found? Where he's promised to bless you with his gifts of mercy and grace. Which leads me to my second seeking weakness, that I look for God in all the wrong places. I look for God on the lake, in the mountains, at the beach. Yes, it's maybe beautiful, it may be peaceful. Yes, God is everywhere, and you can certainly enjoy the majesty of God's creation and pray to God anywhere, but it's not where God has promised to be found. <clears throat> we wrongfully look for God through our feelings. My emotional high in worship becomes the confirmation that I have communed with the Lord. We look for God through signs. I wrongfully attribute a beautiful sunrise to God giving me this direct revelation that he is with me and watching over me. You see, my sinful flesh wants to seek God in all the wrong places, even though God has plainly told me where he is to be found in his word and sacrament. This is closely related to my poor hiding skills as well. You see, deep down, I think we all know why at times we avoid church? Why we avoid confronting God where he's promised to be? Because when we come into proximity with God, we can no longer hide our sin. You see, I don't have to talk to God about my sin while fishing on a calm lake. But I have to think about it when I'm asked to confess my sins in church. When I listen to law and gospel preaching, and when I receive Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of, yes, my sin. Let me shed some light on this by bringing us back to Isaiah again. Remember, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And that word for seek is the Hebrew verb darash. And it can mean seek as in to find, but in other places and in this context, it means to seek God in repentance. Just look at the language that Isaiah uses following verse 6. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him return to the Lord. He will abundantly pardon. This is all repentance language, forgiveness language. In other words, Isaiah isn't telling us to go on the hunt for God somewhere out there. He's telling us to turn to God in repentance right here. It's easy to take God for granted, isn't it? When I first joined the military and had to go off to officer development school in Newport, Rhode Island for five weeks, it was definitely a shock to the system. I had never been away from my family like that, nor away from my local church. My whole world was turned upside down as I was placed into this regimented training environment. And after the first week, I was able to attend service at the chapel on base. It wasn't Lutheran, but it had the liturgy. It had the Word of God. And as I sang a familiar hymn, I can remember shedding tears and having such a sense of relief to be in God's house again. 
There may be times in your life when you don't have access to God's house. I'm guessing that was the case for our psalmist who penned Psalm 42. He expresses this great desire to be with God as a deer pants for streams of water. He desires to come before God, but it seems that he can't. Perhaps he's sick. Perhaps he's on the run. Perhaps he's at war. Whatever his circumstance is, his enemies are taunting him, insulting him, questioning where is his God. And I find the psalmist's response fascinating. What does he do? He recalls his time in church. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would lead the throng in procession to the house of God, God shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And this recollection comforts his soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. What a different perspective on church. You and I are feeding ourselves here so that when we cannot partake, we can still be strengthened by our memories of being in God's holy presence. David, in Psalm 27, makes a very similar point. He used church in a military context. He is confident when his enemies attack. Why? Because he views worship as a military refuge that strengthens him for battle and protects him from his enemies. When evildoers assail David, he does not fear because he draws upon the strength that he has received from dwelling in God's presence. Why does David seek to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple? For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his hand. He will lift me high upon the rock. Alright, I've got him on a bit of a tangent. But the point I was trying to make is that we are terrible seekers. We are also terrible hiders. We try to hide our sin from God rather than turning to Him in repentance, strengthening our faith for the battles ahead. Alright, so where are we? God, good seeker. Devil, good seeker. Us, Bad seekers and bad hiders. Devil's a pretty good hider. The devil is a master of deception. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The devil is so good at hiding that most people in America don't even believe he exists. A quick Google search suggests that less than 60% of Americans believe that the devil and hell even exist. If that's not good hiding, I don't know what is. But let's not dwell too long on the devil and move on to our last point. God is not a good hider. I started off my message today by sharing that I found a certain pleasure in finding a great hiding spot. God is the opposite. It's not that God couldn't be a great hider if he wanted to. You see, our God doesn't want to hide. He takes great pleasure in being found. This is why God has always located himself in very specific places. He appears to Moses in the burning bush. He dwelt with the Israelites in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He filled the tabernacle with his presence and then the temple 
And then, of course, he literally tabernacled among us. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus wanted to be found, even if that meant taking the slings and the arrows. He certainly didn't hide from Judas and the angry mob. He didn't run away. He let him find him and give him that kiss of betrayal. He let them mock him, torture him, and crucify him. And after he rose from the dead, three days later, he appeared to his disciples and more than 500 others so that he could be made known as the Savior of the world. God may not be the hide-and-seek champ, but that's because he'd rather be the champion of your salvation. And today, this reigning champion still makes himself known. Jesus has promised that he is present with his people in word and sacrament. Jesus says to you and me, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. When Jesus was 12 years old, his parents, Joseph and Mary, lost him. And they had to play a little game of hide-and-seek themselves. Eventually, they found him teaching in the temple. And you know what Jesus' response was? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Amen. Now may the peace of God which transcends all understanding, guard and protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.